0: tells me he's making a list, so we're going to get that CD, (laughs) however, he hasn't promised what the time schedule is, what do you think about those folks that are in Colorado today? Wow, we have quite a crowd that's on the ski slopes, we don't know how many are skiing and how many are loafing, but... uh, Obviously, they're having a great time. Our text this morning is Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning with verse sixteen and through five ten. Now, you know, rarely is this the text for a Sunday morning sermon. Uh, usually, when this text is read, it is read at a funeral. But it really shouldn't be so, because the topic of this passage, when you think about it, is the music that's played in the background as we live out the drama of our existence upon the earth. Uh, You could say that it's the atmosphere of the arena in which we run the race of life. And so this morning... We want to read the passage and meditate upon it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, Indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. Indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being in burden, because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God. Who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Some things in this passage are quite clear. And there are some we will not understand until we have left this life and find ourselves dwelling on the other side. But Let's reflect upon these verses this morning and see what the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit through this passage would say to us. First, Paul recognizes that it is human nature to want to keep the tent, with which we're familiar. You notice Paul uses various figures in this. One of the dominant figures is the tent versus the permanent house or the dwelling. The tent, after all, is a a temporary dwelling. When the Hebrews were traveling through the wilderness, they lived in tents. But when they came to the promised land, they built houses. The book of Hebrews describing Abraham says this, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The tent, the Greek word is skene, it's a temporary dwelling place. And yet, it's our human nature, isn't it, <laughs> to want to stay with the familiar rather than moving on to the seemingly unknown. Now, when someone is told, we think you're going to die, the instinctive human response is, I don't want to die, <laughs> because it is our nature to want to stay with that which is familiar. And when someone whom we love receive the word from the doctor that says there really is little hope, death will be happening within whatever period of time. There's something in us that since we don't want to lose that person, we want to keep them in this tent. We don't want to turn loose to the tent that has become... So precious to us. It's difficult for us to have David's perspective. Who wrote precious in the sight of the Lord. Is the death of his godly ones. Or to acknowledge the truth of Psalm 90. 10, the days of our life are. King James says three score and ten. Seventy years. If due to strength. Eighty years yet. Their pride or their strength is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. And Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You see, this is fact. This is life. And yet it is our nature to want to hang on to that tent for ourselves and for those whom we love. That's why Paul writes, uh, while we're in this tent, we've grown being burdened. We don't want to be unclothed. We don't want to turn loose of that tent which is familiar and move on, even though we are people of faith, to the great unfamiliar. That's human nature. And yet the second point that we see in Paul's writing is this. The life in the tent, in no way, can compare to the glory that awaits us in our permanent dwelling. He prepared us for this very purpose, is God. The Greek word here has the idea of a, well, we might picture it this way my, my barber is a potter. And as the years have gone by, her hands less and less are able to knead the clay to get it ready to turn into a pot. And so she's bought a machine that now needs the clay for her. And it prepares it, it gets it ready, so she can fashion some beautiful object of art, but it has to be prepared first. But the purpose of that preparation is the beautiful piece of art that she is going to prepare. And that's what Paul is saying as we live out our life in the tent, as we go through trials and tribulations, as we know love, as we know anger, as we are attacked, as we give blessings, all of this is a part of God's needing us, preparing us for the beautiful thing that is ahead. It is the purpose, that's the purpose for which He is doing all that He does with us as we live this life. Before him. January 1st of this year. I finished 59 years. As a minister of the gospel. In that 59 years. I probably spend more hours. In the hospital. Than anyone else here. Unless you're a doctor or nurse. I've spent all night long as members of the church are dying. I've sat with husbands whose wife's life hung in the balance. I've slept on the floor of the hospital rather than leave a member of the church alone in those hours. You know, in all those years, I've seen great sums of money in what one might call heroic efforts expended to keep someone in the tent. My values have so changed over the years. Why put a body through suffering? Why do all of this to try to keep from Ace? Believer in Jesus, from going on to the wonderful glory that awaits on the other side of the grave. Now, of course, if you're not a believer, boy, keep them as long as you can. (laughs) Where I work out, there's a biker that I've befriended. He calls me preacher, and we become friends. And he came to me to talk last week about a particular preacher he knew that had fallen into sin. And I began to talk to him again, as I have often, about the things of Christ. He said, I have a friend who's very religious, and he keeps telling me, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I said, you know, Charlie, he was complaining about an aching shoulder. I shouldn't have said his name. Talking about an aching shoulder. And I said, you know, someday we're going to get a new body. He said, I hope mine's up there and not down there. (laughs) He recognized the difference. Now, until he knows for sure, I want to keep him around. And I pray that God will enable me in coming weeks to bring that man to Jesus. And the friendship we have, I trust it can be so. Believe me, I know how hard it is to say goodbye. But... If we love that person with all of our heart, why not release them and let them go to know the glory that's theirs? Paul wrote to the Philippians, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. There's some of us in this building that have told me you have the same struggle Paul did you'd like to go on, but there are those here who need you First Corinthians 15:19 if we hoped in Christ in this life only we are of all men to be most pitied. And again, we think of that beautiful Statement of Jesus to the apostles the night before he died. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house. There are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. What a beautiful promise that awaits those of us who are his. There's a song we used to sing in revival meetings. Christ is King's come, friends, sing of the faith and so on. Let me read the beautiful words of the chorus. I am so happy in Jesus. Captivity's captor is He. Angels rejoice when a soul saves. Someday we like Him shall be. Sorrow and joy... Have the same Lord. Valley of shadows shall sing. Death has its life. Its doors open to heaven. Eternally. Christ is King. Aren't those great words? What a joyous thing to sing them. Indeed, the life that you and I are living right now in this tent. In no way can compare to the glory that awaits us when we receive our eternal dwelling in Christ Jesus. The third thing that Paul addresses is this. Since I can't see heaven, since I can't see what's on the other side, how do I know that all of this heavenly talk isn't just a fanciful tale? How can I know? Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be immersed every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, The promise isn't just to you, but it is to you and to your children and to as many as are far off, to many as the Lord our God shall call. That's promise. And if you say to somebody, and I've I've seen this happen, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes. How do you know? Well, I was immersed 10 years ago, and the Bible says if I'm immersed, I get the Holy Spirit, so I know I have the Holy Spirit. That's not a good enough answer. No, it is the Holy Spirit is given to us as a pledge, uh, really a down payment. If You're going to buy a house that cost $80,000, and you go to the owner and you say, here's $5,000 earnest money. This is the guarantee that once a title is transferred, you'll get $75,000. The $5,000 is earnest money. It's the guarantee. And that's what is spoken three times in Scripture of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. The fact that I have the Holy Spirit in my life is the guarantee that heaven is mine. But that isn't much of a guarantee if I can only say, well, I know I have the Holy Spirit because I was immersed 10 years ago. (laughs) Unless I know I have the Holy Spirit, it isn't much of a promise, is it? Three times, Ephesians 1:13 and 14, we have that promise given. Let's look at these because they're, they're very important to us, Galatians 113 through14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. And again, as we have been reading in Second Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Do you have... The Holy Spirit. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? <laughs> do you sense the presence of God? Can you actually come to a place in which you say, I do not believe there is a God, and you can mean that with all of your heart because you actually do not sense the presence of some other being? The Holy Spirit is given, so we'd sense that other presence. Another measure is love. Romans chapter 5 talks about the Holy Spirit God has given us, and that Holy Spirit has shed love abroad in our hearts. How well I can remember years ago when I was certainly not a hugger, <laughs> I couldn't stand to hug people. As a matter of fact, Any kind of emotion was something I really resented and thought weak and silly. (laughs) But I must say the Holy Spirit changed all of that. (laughs) I thank God for the deep affection that is in my heart that is not from Jim Garrett, human being, but it is from the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus Christ who loves everybody and I pray floods me with love so that love and kindness can touch everybody Whom I meet. Do you have that love in your heart? So interesting to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is Paul is talking about manifestation of the Spirit. And he said God has given first apostles, the second prophets, and so on. And then he says, and by the way, in Greek language, when you ask a question, you can ask it in in such a way that the person who hears it knows the answer you're expecting. If you want the answer to be yes, You begin the question with Omicron Upsilon. If you want the answer to be no, you begin it with Mu Eta. And so Paul begins each of these questions with Mu Eta, which means, of course not. And so he says, are all apostles? Of course not. Are all prophets? Of course not. Do all work miracles? Of course not. Do all speak in tongues? Of course not. Do all interpret tongues? Of course not. And so on. That's the way his questions go. Then he says, but now I'll show you a more excellent way. And then we have that beautiful chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and do not have love, I am but a sounding brass and a clinking cymbal. Now by these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. One way, I know I have the Holy Spirit is I cannot deny that I do not sense the presence of God. But secondly, because of the love that I feel in my heart for all who are about me, even the most obnoxious person I meet. And I'll tell you, that's no credit to me. It is the Holy Spirit who is manifesting Himself. The Holy Spirit, I do not doubt that when I die, I will see the face of my Savior because I have God's down payment in my life. His guarantee. Praise His name. (laughs) Now, even though the focus in this passage is on that unseen world, Paul makes it clear that life in the tent is important. Verses 9 through 10 we read again as we read a moment ago. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home in the tent or absent with him, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or are bad. Well, what we do in the tent is going to have everything to do with what life is going to be like when we leave the tent behind. Much of Jesus' teaching was instruction about how to live. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, that's that's what it is. It's an instruction about how to live. One of the questions is which audience are you playing to, an earthly audience or a heavenly audience? But it's how to live. There are 21 letters in the New Testament, mostly consisting of material telling us how to live. Sometimes you hear people say, He is so heavenly minded, He is no earthly good. My experience has been that those who are heavenly minded are usually the best in the world. (laughs) The ones who love, the ones who provide for the hungry, the ones who seek to alleviate suffering, the ones who do all they can to make life for those about them better are those who are heavenly minded. In the tent we are salt and light in this world. The Sermon on the Mount speaks so much of the importance of living this life because that to a large degree determines, not to a large degree, totally determines what life will be like when we leave the tent behind. But of course, how beautiful is this, verse uh, 14 and 15, the love of Christ controls us having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. And then, verse 20 and 21, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He that made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I don't know how old I was. Probably about ten. And I was sitting in church one Sunday morning and the preacher preached a sermon, oh, I believe it was probably Sunday night, about the judgment day. And here's how he pictured it. In the judgment day, here sat God, Father, here sat Jesus, angel, Holy Spirit, everybody that's ever lived was here. And there was this giant Victrola. Now, if you don't know what a Victrola is, that's a thing that plays records, 78. So God cranked up this giant Victrola, and everybody that was there, there was a 78 record that contained everything about your life. And so this was put on the Victrola, and the arm was dropped, and there it went. From the time you were squalling as a baby... Every sound you'd ever made, every word you'd ever said, ever said, there was a journal about all of your deeds, and all, all people that ever lived heard it all. <laughs> it's scary to think about. <laughs> After listening to that sermon, I wasn't eager for Jesus to come back. <laughs> and uh, neither was I ready to die. It wasn't long after that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Today I don't have any fear of the judgment. I have no anxiety about what it will be like when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ because I've been reconciled to God through what we commemorated today as we partook of the loaf and the cup. The cross of Jesus Christ. I believe in him. I trust his atonement. I have been immersed into Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within my life. I have no fear of the judgment. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I do not say that boastfully, you see. But it is because the grace of God has been extended to me. And it's extended to you and you and you and all of us can look forward to that time when we leave this tent, when we come into his presence. We do not have to be in fear of standing before God, praise his name, because we can become the righteousness of God in him. The more excellent way. Noah, for 120 years, scripture describes him as a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, Noah and his boys built the ark, and Noah preached. He preached to a world that was so sinful that God had said, I've had enough of it. He tried to warn the people that there was coming a flood. They said, why, that's silly, never heard anything like that. It's going to rain. What do you mean, rain? Water had never fallen from the heavens. But for 120 years, he preached and pled. And one day God called Noah and his family and the animals into the ark and God shut the door. 120 years of preaching was over and the human race had to pay the consequences of its unresponsive heart to God. Now since we ask do we have first time visitors today I assume everyone here knows Jesus but if you don't this morning I plead with you I plead with you to don't let the day come when you put aside this tent and proceed to the next life in abject fear when you have to give account for the deeds done in the flesh. Don't leave this building today afraid that God is going to close the door of the ark and you're going to be outside. You know, if you come to that day and you've never given your heart to Jesus, one thing you're going to have to give account for is a fact this morning you heard this sermon and you said no? You will have to give account for saying no. This morning, if you have not given your heart to Jesus, why can't it be today? Why can't you begin that life with fellowship with God and the Holy Spirit? You can. <laughs> but the decision is yours. Now because I assume we're all in the kingdom, we're not going to sing an invitation song, although that again was my intention. (laughs) But just by chance there is one. Don't leave this building today without taking care of this matter. Come after the benediction and speak to us. Let us hear your confession of faith. Let us immerse you into Jesus Christ and that you might know the joy of walking in fellowship with him. Amen.